Mark 21, uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt it in her body, that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembled with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher any more? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him and and he put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Korm, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was twelve years old. At this they were very completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Thank you, Jeff. Um, keep your Bibles open. It's, there's a lot in those stories. You probably know the stories, but there's some details there which are really important. And we're going to pick them out as we work our way through them uh, together this morning. Uh, now, I, I love to cook. Um, I don't get to cook very often, not as much as I'd like, uh, but I do enjoy it. And I especially like to try something new or something different uh, or to cook something special, a nice meal. Uh, I know it's a bit daggy, but I have to confess that MasterChef has been a big influence on me uh, and it's taught me to try new things and want to try new things uh, and taught me new skills. Uh, One of the things, I don't know if you, you've probably watched the show, you at least be aware of it, one of the things they do on MasterChef is every week or so have what's called a masterclass Uh, and instead of the contestants cooking, they get one of their expert chefs and he cooks a meal and he shows them all these new things and... uh, make something delicious uh, and he demonstrates it so they can learn but so that you at home can also learn how to do it and I'm always sitting there thinking wow that looks incredible that's amazing how do they do that but every now and again they cook something you think that looks great 
And I reckon I can do it. <laughs> I reckon I can give that a crack. Let's, let's give it a try. And so I did it once. Uh, I got one of their recipes. I watched the videos. I thought, I can do that. Yeah, no. Uh, it's easy for them. You know, the show goes for about 30 minutes. I don't know how much they cut out of that because it took me well over an hour. Or maybe I'm just really slow and average. But it, it looks so easy for them, doesn't it? It looks so straightforward. They just do this thing. They talk through it. They make jokes through it. They do whatever. It looks so simple. And it's not. Uh, actually, one of my crowning achievements in the kitchen is cooking a Jamie Oliver 30-minute meal in 33 minutes. Uh, it, they make it look easy, don't they? They make it look so straightforward. And it's just not. It's, it's big and it's complex and it's far harder than it seems. And so it is in Mark chapter 5, in these verses we read before, in these two stories that, that are stuck together here by Mark. They look so simple. I mean, it's just straightforward. The people with a need, Jesus goes to them and they're healed. Just like that, done and dusted. Such little fuss, so straightforward. And yet, don't miss just how complex and profound what's being taught to us here is. Don't, don't miss how wonderful, actually, these very straightforward stories really are. Uh, there's assurance and there's hope here for all of us, from the most confident to the most desperate, from the most secure to the most needy. And what we're going to do this morning is just scratch below the surface and see what it is. This, this great hope and this great profound truth that's being offered to us. Now when we meet Jesus in these passages, we meet him in a familiar place. He's been zigzagging back and forth across the sea. Now he's back on the western shore, back in, in Galilee, in familiar territory. And we pick it up in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Uh, the crowd is back. It's, it's bigger than ever. It, it's doing what it always did, crowding around Jesus. And suddenly as uh, the, the crowd stands and listens and watches, from their midst, this, this man bursts through and he is clearly in a desperate way. Uh, his, his name is Jairus. Uh, obviously he's known by people. He's one of the few people who's actually named in the Gospel of Mark. And he's a man of, of some significance. He, he's a synagogue leader, like uh, a church or community leader even. He's known. But he's desperate. He, he bursts through the crowd and he throws himself down at Jesus' feet and he pleads with him frantically, my daughter is at the point of death. Please come, please make her well. Uh, if you are taking notes, just make note of that word there, make her well. Uh, the literal word is save and it's important, we're going to see that soon. Make her well. And so Jesus goes and together the crowd follows him to go to Jairus' house and to heal his daughter. Hold that thought. Because the scene shifts. Look at verse 24, the second half. 
A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. We're introduced to another desperate person. This, this woman, an unnamed woman, uh, hiding amongst the crowd, clearly uh, ashamed, wanting to stay anonymous. But no less desperate than Jairus, is she? She has been suffering for a long time. Uh, Mark doesn't describe her condition. He's not a doctor. Uh, clearly it's gynaecological. But it has been going on for a long time. Twelve years she has suffered. Physically she's suffered. She's been limited by her condition, no doubt in pain. Uh, relationally she's suffered. There's no husband mentioned here. And it's quite likely that her condition had left her divorced. Reproductively, her condition has left her barren. Socially, it's isolated her from her friends and those around her. And religiously as well. It's excluded her from taking part in the religion of the day. Her condition is terrible and what it's done to her is dehumanised her. It's taken her away from what she ought to be. And all she is has been taken by this affliction. It's not like she hasn't tried to get better. Uh, Mark, Mark paints that, that picture of um, her, her going everywhere, doing everything possible. She's seen many different doctors. She's spent all she had. You can imagine this woman, every time she hears of, oh, this specialist helped me out, well, I'll go and see them. And this person did something wonderful for me, I'll go and see her. There's a new treatment, go and try that. For years she has done this. And the result? Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She has suffered for 12 years. For 12 years she has lurched from hope to hope, trying to find an answer. And each has left her only more empty than before. And her suffering is worse than ever. And she's spent all she's had. She is desperate. And in her desperation she is willing to clutch at whatever comes her way. Look at verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. You can, you can hear her desperation. If, if I just touch him, I'll be healed. And again, if you're taking notes, there's that word again, literally, saved. And she's right, isn't she? You know, Jesus is walking through the street, the, the crowd's pressing around him, it's, it's bumping, it's chaotic, it's a bit, uh, bit crazy. It's like Christmas shopping at Kmart. Uh, it's all pressing in. And this, this woman sneaks up behind Jesus, not, not from the front, not from the side, but where she can't be seen. And, and unnoticed, her, her hand kind of reaches through the crowd and just touches the corner of his cloak as he goes past and instantly... She's healed, she's restored and, and she feels it, she knows it. And she's freed to live again. Just like that, instantly she is made well. Uh, can you imagine how, how her heart must have leapt feeling that, knowing that? You know, her 12 years of suffering just ended in a moment. Her, her life gets to begin again. She's made new. Well, imagine then how her heart must have stopped when Jesus stopped, 
when the whole procession just grinds to a halt because Jesus stands dead still and turns around. Can you imagine the fear she must have felt? Look at verse 30 and 31. At once Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? I mean, what horror this woman must have found. See the efforts she has made at being anonymous. She's creeping through this crowd. She doesn't want anyone to see her or find out about her. And now she's exposed, found out. Uh, it's, It's like that dream. We've all had it. Just let me adjust this. It's like that dream we've all had. You know, apparently it's the fourth most common dream, uh, the dream of being naked or in your underwear um, in public or in, in front of your peers. Everyone's had it and you know the feeling. It's an awful feeling, isn't it? You feel exposed and you feel vulnerable and you feel helpless. Um, apparently it's related to all sorts of feelings of insecurity and humiliation and, and shame. I don't, I'm not a dreamologist or whatever they're called, but that's what I'm told. And that is exactly how this woman feels right now. The crowd stops and Jesus searches. And she must know, if if he knew that someone touched him, he's going to find her. And so forward she comes, trembling and terrified. Look at verse 32. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She's terrified, she's exposed and she comes forward in front of a whole crowd now to explain what's happened. She comes clean, she she lays out her life before Jesus and she finds not condemnation but grace. Look at what he calls her, daughter. You know, she's no longer relationally or socially outcast. She's part of the family, daughter. She's come that day looking for something, for a cure. But Jesus has found someone, a personal encounter, a relationship. And he says to her, you are healed. And there's that word again, saved. Go in peace. Not frantic anymore, not desperate, but assured and glad and able to live again. Uh, It's a beautiful story, but Mark records it not just as a beautiful testament to to Jesus' power, to Jesus' mercy. Mark records this this story because he's telling us that we're to see ourselves in this woman. We're to see us in this picture. In fact, Mark is saying to us, we're in the same boat. Obviously not literally, but spiritually, this is a picture of us. We too, like this woman, have been dehumanised, not by a condition, but by sin. We've been dehumanised by sin. Our bodies are at war with ourselves. We, we feel the effects of pain and sickness and illness. Our relationships with the world are broken. Our relationships with each other are devastated and our access to God is cut off. We are suffering under sin's effects in the same way that this woman was suffering. 
And isn't the story of humanity, isn't the history of humanity a story so similar to this woman's? A story of trying to regain and to be restored, to fix what is wrong. I mean, look at our efforts. We're desperate, you know, for self-improvement, you know, to be less at war with ourselves. We're desperate to be liked, to, to please others, to, you know, build better relationships with one another. We're desperate to live at harmony with and to fix our world, to restore our relationship to it. We're desperate to find meaning and purpose and significance to find what we've lost in being cut off from God. And we try and we try, anxious, frantic, consumed with worry and fear and angst. And yet for all our efforts, for all our spending of ourselves, what have we found? Yet instead of getting better, we grew worse. Why? Because sin dehumanises us. It breaks us down. It destroys who we are and we're meant to be. And as broken people, we can't fix ourselves. But what Mark's telling us today is, in Jesus... We have someone who can. I mean, he's been painting the picture for five chapters, hasn't he? Who is Jesus? He's powerful. He's heaven's king. He's God's son. He's the one who's come from heaven to earth. Why? Because he is here to make us right, to fix us. As the prophet Isaiah said, by his stripes you were healed. And as Jesus himself said in in John chapter 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And how? Well, the story's clear, isn't it? Your faith has healed you. It's faith that receives. But let's be clear here. Uh, as one writer puts it, uh, it's not the power of faith, but the divine power of Jesus that heals. See, it's not that this lady's uh, faith was so amazing that Jesus was just compelled to heal her. He's not like, wow, your faith is amazing, I have to heal you. It's that Jesus is so amazing, that Jesus is so powerful, that her faith receives healing. Faith is that link to him and to his power, to his grace, to receive from him. In Jesus and in Jesus alone is the cure that we've searched for, the cure that heals forever. I mean, do you think, just, just picture that scene again, picture the crowd pressing around Jesus. Do you think that this woman was the only sick person who touched him that day? <laughs> I can guarantee that almost everyone in that crowd had something that they would like healed, but they didn't get it, and she did, because she believed him. She trusted him. She put her faith in him alone and was healed, was saved through faith. All who come to Jesus in faith, even if it be fearful or trembling or scared, receive restoration and healing and salvation. Trust him and the result is you are known by him and saved by him, and restored by him. And in place of all your frantic effort to make yourself well, the peace that he alone can give. 
But what about poor old Jairus? <laughs> Imagine the poor guy standing by as this, this delay happens. You know, he, he's waiting there in the wings. Uh, his story on hold, his daughter, you know, off dying back at his house, Jesus delaying, the, the clock ticking, the, the, the tension building up in him. And now his story takes a turn for the worse. Look at verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher any more? That's pretty brutal, isn't it? Your daughter's dead. There's nothing for you here anymore. Go home. Mourn your child. Your story's over. Or so you might think. Look at verse 36. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. (laughs) I, I... I don't know how Jairus reacted to that. Mark doesn't tell us. It's a strange thing, isn't it? Not, I'm so sorry about your daughter, but I'm going to come anyway. Just don't be afraid. Only believe, Jesus says. Only believe. Uh, And what Jesus is doing is something that we we saw uh, last week in the passage there and what we're going to continue seeing. Jesus is pitting these two things against each other, isn't he? On one hand, fear. On the other hand, belief or faith. Fear versus faith. In one is life, in one is despair. Don't fear, just believe. The two are at odds. Uh, Maybe I can demonstrate how. Uh, We went to the pool the other day as a family. Uh, When we were at the pool, Jethro's favourite game is being thrown up in the air as high as he can go. All dads have probably played this with their kids. It's awesome. It's pretty funny to watch. Uh, And every time, at the end, he splashes down, Again, Daddy! And off we do it again. It doesn't matter if it's the first or the 50th time. We keep going and going. Now, this day at the pool, there was no one else around. We had the whole pool to ourselves. Lots of room to kind of, you know, get a bit rowdy. And so maybe the throws were a bit higher than normal. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of gauging this off the fact that from the other end of the pool, where Melinda was, there were lots of gasps uh, and disapproving looks. (laughs) Melinda had no faith... (laughs) maybe a little bit of faith and fear Jethro on the other hand no fear (laughs) only faith Uh, higher daddy again the two are at odds fear versus faith and Jesus says to Jairus in this most impossible of situations in this most awful of places Don't fear. Only believe. Have faith. We don't know what Jairus said back, but we do know that they kept going. Look at verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Uh, clearly, not everyone had faith. Jairus has come along. So clearly he did believe that there was something in Jesus. The mourners, on the other hand, no faith whatsoever. They look at Jesus like he's nuts. And it does seem a bit nuts, doesn't he? He's sleeping? Are you crazy? 
Go away, Jesus, you're too late. But Jesus ignores them. Verse 40. After he put them all out, he took the child's mother and father and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. It's just so simple, isn't it? Jesus puts the rowdy crowd outside. You know, the paid mourners were a thing. They would have been making a racket. Get out, he says. He walks into the room, family and his few disciples in tow. He just walks over to the bed, takes this little girl's hand, no incantation, no ritual, no ceremony at all and two words, get up. And she does. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine, you know, Jairus has had a great uh, roller coaster of a day, hasn't he? Can you imagine his world just rocks now? I mean, put yourself there. Don't, don't miss in the simplicity of this story just how incredible this is. It's not just that this is a desperate situation, this is a hopeless situation. We've gone a long way past the point of no return. You know, defibrillators don't work. This is too late. And Jesus simply steps in and saves and gives life in the impossible situation. And, and again, Mark records this not just to prove how powerful and, and, and awesome and divine Jesus is, definitely to do that. And it, it makes it so clear, doesn't it? But he also records us at this to tell us again why Jesus is here, what Jesus has come to do and what sort of kingdom he is bringing into this world. Jesus is here to restore. Jesus is here to heal. He is here to save and he is here to give life. To give life, even as ludicrous as it sounds, life beyond the grave, life in the face of death, life over death itself. What we see here is that in Jesus there is something that humanity, far greater than humanity, has ever or will ever achieve. He alone, so, so simply, so powerfully, steps beyond death, proves his power over it, and effortlessly, it seems, brings life from death. It's what those very well-known verses remind us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes, that is, has faith in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus has come to heal. Jesus has come to give life. How does he do that? Well, as we read on in the story and come to the end of the book, we find out how. How does he do it? Well, he does it by taking our illness, our sin, on himself and killing it on the cross. He does it by taking our death on himself and dying and rising to life, breaking its shackles and conquering it forever 
He himself steps beyond death in order to beat it forever. And whoever believes, whoever has faith in him, receives all of that. Whether you be an outcast or a nobody like this woman or a a pillar of society like Jairus, it's not by your virtue, it's not by the strength of your faith, it's not by anything you've done or anything that you are. It is by the power of Jesus alone. Faith links us with him, with that power, and to the healing and life that is in him alone. Don't fear, only believe. No matter what comes, even, even in the face of death. That, that's a crazy thing to say today, isn't it? That, that, that's, that's just so bizarre. I don't know if you've ever just stopped back and, sat back and thought about that. Uh, it, it struck me about a month ago. Um, about a month ago, my Alma died and we uh, were standing there at her graveside and looking around at that scene, it should be an awful place, shouldn't it? It should be terrifying when you face death, the, the, you know, the great unknown. It should be frightening. There is so much uncertainty there. There is such finality when you stand there. But we stood there that day, yes, sad, because we miss our Alma, but not devastated, not terrified, but we stood there confident. I mean, how bizarre is that? We get kind of used to it because we, we, we don't do it all the time, but we do it enough. We, we talk about it enough. How bizarre is that to stand at a graveside confident? Not because we're so naive or emotionally unavailable, but we stand there confident because of what we've seen here, don't we? Because of faith in Jesus. Because we see Jesus is a healer. Jesus is the life giver. And faith links us to that and gives us the hope of that. Yes, Alma had faith. Her her faith was strong. But that's not what saved her. Jesus did. Your faith, I don't know how you feel about your faith right now. Maybe you feel really strong. Wonderful, I'm very glad. Maybe you feel very weak. And that's hard. But what we're told here is it doesn't matter. Because it's not the strength of your faith. It's not faith in itself that heals you. It's not faith in itself that gives you life. It's faith that simply links you to Jesus and he does it all for you. His power saves. And faith simply receives it. Know that and live it out. Not not in fear, not in anxiety, not in worry, but in confidence. I think we're so used to living in fear. We live in a world that sells us fear, don't we? It's all around us. It's here every day. Every day there's something new to be scared of. It's terrorists or illness or ageing or climate change. I don't know. And yes, we ought to engage with those things. We ought to note them. But we ought not to fear them. Because we can have faith in Jesus. Jesus who heals. Jesus who restores. Jesus who gives us life. Uh, we, we have that uniquely Christian fear, don't we? <laughs> but how do I know? How can I be sure? You know, my faith is so flimsy. I, I do all sorts of bad things. I keep doing them again and again. I don't, I don't think about God very much. I forget to pray. 
How do I know? Do I have faith? Do I still have faith? Well, the real question is, very simple. Who do you think can save you? Who do you think can give you life? And if your answer is Jesus, then you have salvation and you have life. Even if you feel undeserving, even if you feel unworthy, even if you feel like your faith is so pathetic, you know, mustard seed would be generous as a description, it doesn't matter because it's his power. It's his grace. He saves. Yes, you're going to still get doubts. We're all going to wrestle with doubts for the whole of our life. That is the reality of being in this world. You're still going to have to work uh, at learning to follow him well. It's hard work and we're going to have setbacks in that. But your faith has saved you. So live it out and go in peace. Some will laugh at us. They'd laughed at Jesus. Uh, because the life of faith is too simple. It's, it's too basic. It seems so naive. And yet that's what we're called to. Trust Jesus. Because in him is the healing and salvation that we crave, that we need. In him is life and confidence and hope, even beyond death. Don't fear. Only believe and go in peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is amazing to read and be reminded uh, and to see everything that Jesus has come to this earth to do, that he has come to restore and heal and save, that he has come to give life even after death. Father, we see his power, we see his mercy And we're just amazed by it. And even more are we amazed when we realise that he gave his own life to death on the cross to make it possible for us. Father, we praise you that this is ours without us even having to earn it or do anything, but just by faith, just by believing. Lord, how good you are. Help us in this. Uh, Assure us, we pray. Give us this peace and confidence. Lord, you know our doubts, you know our uncertainties and our weaknesses. Uh, Overcome them in us and help us to live out our faith gladly and joyfully and boldly. In Jesus we pray. Amen.